Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. We will be chatting with not one, but couple of guests today. Jack and Jeff are founder and co-founder of High Return Real Estate. Jack has been an entrepreneur since he was 19 and has a multi-million dollar nutrition consulting and distribution company. Jeff, aka Shaki, started his first business right out of the college. His love for real estate investing began in the 1980s when he rehabbed five of his own residences. Let's hear from them about the business and market they operate in. Welcome, Jeff and Jack, to uh, Wealth Matters Podcast. How are you today? Fantastic. Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having us, Alpesh. This is awesome. Of course. Thank you. Uh, it was hard to get all of us on the same schedule, but thank you for right. taking time out of your busy schedule on Friday. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem at all. And so uh, my question to you guys, uh, of course, you know, I uh, introduced you as uh, the founders and the co-founder of High Return Real Estate in Indie Market. Uh, of course. So what do you do? <laughs> what does that mean? Shucky, let it rip. Okay. We, uh, we have a turnkey company and uh, we are full service. So we provide a complete end-to-end solution for typically mostly out of state and oftentimes out of the country investors. Uh, you know, obviously we're in Indianapolis because we've got all of our teams here, but that's the, the, not the real reason. The real reason is because of the price points here and more importantly, the price to rent ratios are extremely attractive, uh, probably some of the best in the world. And uh, we've built a situation where we just go out and are able to put finished, rehabbed, warrantied, performing tenanted properties in the hands of investors who don't really wanna go through all that process either because they don't have the expertise or they don't have the time. And we just provide that uh, end solution for them. That's, that's awesome. So how did you uh, get started with real estate? <laughs> uh, there's a, Jack, I'm going to let you take that one because there's such a long answer. The answer is not the same for both of us. Right. Yeah, you know, about uh, four years ago, Alpesh, my stock market, you know, investments totally tanked. I was in oil and... Oh. Yeah, and um, natural gas, but natural gas was tied to oil and for whatever reason... Yeah. And so, you know, they dropped like a rock. Yeah. I was playing the option game. So fortunately. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay, cool. So uh, mm. unfortunately I was, I had uh, made some money in the options. Uh, so my, you know, I'd reduced my, my risk in those particular stocks because I'd been collecting cash flow off those stocks for, you know, the last probably 24 months prior to that. Oh, okay. But then when the, you know, the stock market tanked, I mean, I pretty much lost all that, uh, that those gains that I had made. Right. So obviously very frustrated and saying to myself, you know, what the heck? Like, I don't want to live like this my entire life where, 
my entire financial future is tied into the whimsical nature of the stock market. Yep, yep. And, and, and you know, now that, I, as I mentioned, I was doing options and futures and forex as well. It's so emotional, right? So your day totally depends on what you see on the screen, right? Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm the type of, the way I've built my other nutrition company, like, it's, it's been slow and steady growth, you know, five, 10% maybe growth a year. Okay. You know, when you look at it over the course of the last 20 years, and now, you know, I've got a, a monstrous business on that side. So I, I kind of looked at it myself as like an investor, although I'm not, uh, I'm certainly an aggressive personality and I like to take risks and I, I like the excitement. I don't like big swings. And I also don't like not being in control. So, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm very frustrated and I'm saying to myself, okay, what's the lesson here that I'm supposed to learn and how am I supposed to kind of redirect my uh, future and the course that I'm on? And everything kind of just kept, the, you know, the little voice inside just kept saying, learn real estate, learn real estate. <laughs> so I, that's what I did. I went and started, you know, devouring books and podcasts and yep. for a hundred days straight, I probably spent an hour a day just learning. That's awesome. And then after that point, I felt uh, confident enough to start buying, although I still, you know, didn't know uh, what I didn't know. Right. So right. <laughs> I did make, uh, of course, some buying mistakes, but one, you know, I think one great move was I bought into a turnkey property in Indianapolis and the price to rent ratios there are incredible compared to most of the major markets throughout right, the US. Yep. So I was getting great returns and everything was going awesome. And then I was sending in lots of referrals and then I started getting rebates off my own kind of construction fees. And so I was getting into the properties at a lower price point. And then it turned into starting to get commissions. And then that's about right when I, in, reached out to Shecky, who was my digital marketing partner in uh, my nutrition company and said, you know, Hey, like, I think there's a real serious business opportunity here and I need your help and expertise. So I offered him a 50% equity in the high return real estate company. And then, you know, that's, that's where it all kind of started. And, you know, I do have um, buy and hold property for myself. I really look at what we're doing in the turnkey space. You know, it's a, more of a flipping profit. I look at that as a way to fund quicker my own buy and holds um, to create more passive income. So for, I think first and foremost, I am a very much a passive income investor. Yeah, and if you want me to answer the question, I'm ready to jump in now too. <laughs> uh, I started a long, 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 long time ago. Um, and I was, I was doing a lot of house hacking back even as late as the late 1980s before that term house hacking became popular. And I obviously at that point really understood some of the power of what you could do with real estate. And over the years, I was always intrigued by it and had been to a few seminars, but in the early 2000s, I started a flipping business with a buddy of mine down in Texas and we did fine for three, four, five years. And then, of course, we all know what happened in 2008. And that's yep. when uh, basically got completely wiped out. And um, I swore off real estate 
and <laughs> said, I'm never doing this again. And I, I, at, this was at the time, you know, 08, 09, when the, right. the internet was a lot different than what it is now. Uh, but I was very, very intrigued by, you know, the possibility of growth with the internet and what you could do from a marketing standpoint. So I kind of did what, what Jack did with real estate, I started just studying, studying, studying internet marketing. And I actually moved from San Antonio to Austin to be closer to a then growing uh, digital marketing community. A lot of really cool entrepreneurs lived there and they were really pushing the envelope on what was possible in the online marketing space. And I, I learned quite a bit and, you know, long story, even longer, I ended up, um, working with a buddy of mine who owned a social media company and I was running his consulting division and Jack happened to be one of my favorite clients. And so as he mentioned, that's kind of how things started. And, you know, initially I was like, yeah, I don't know, real estate. I mean, you know, I want to hear about it, but I originally went into that conversation really just looking to help out somebody that I respected. I was not looking at it from a standpoint of going into business, but once we really took a look at this and saw the, you know, really the opportunity, and the opportunity really wasn't just for us, but I, I believe that any good business is there because there is a, a hungry market that really wants what you had. And knowing that, you know, Jack had had some success and some not so good success and had spoken with a lot of other investors that, you know, they, they, they liked the concept of turnkey. It really made a lot of sense because they were, they were busy and didn't have the expertise in rehabbing and that, and, or even in placing tenants. Um, they, there was definitely a, a hungry market for it, but there were very few in the space that were really doing it right. Uh, and most of them were what I affectionately call bottom feeders. You know, they just were, you know, slap a property together and, you know, if you can talk an investor into taking it over and getting it off your hands and then you wash your hands of it, that, that was really the way a lot of right. the market was and, operating. And, and uh, I, I could, yeah, I, I could throw names out there, but the one name which is uh, on my mind is Clayton Morris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, there's some, you know, like, there's some great individual players and some, some bad individual players. Right. But we just didn't, at the time, we didn't see that there was anybody really doing it the way it should be done. There were one or two, and they were bigger companies, and they had been at it a long time, but they didn't have very, very good returns. And so we said, probably, you know, there's, there's got to be a way in a town like Indianapolis where we've got such great pricing and such great price-to-rent ratios where we could do both. We could provide some really good customer service and really be good guys to work with and also be able to give the investor high returns. So that's what we really set out to do, and that's really what we work on every single day. Perfect, thank you for the intro. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be back after the break. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S.com. So we are chatting with Jeff and Jack from High Return Real Estate. Um, thank you for that intro, uh, I want to ask uh, why Indianapolis market? I know you mentioned about price to rent ratio, but what 
else is going on for the indie market? I know a lot of people mention all the time that, oh yeah, I want to invest there or I'm investing there, but what are some of the, you know, uh, things going for indie market? So I'll start and then, you know, Shecky actually moved from Austin to Indy. So he's going to give you probably a little more detail than what wow. I can. So uh, <laughs> I'll give the broader view. You know, we, I was hit with this saying that really just, that's what turned me on to investing, you know, out of state and, and buying turnkey originally myself, right? So live where you want to live, but invest where it makes sense. Exactly. I, I live in California and I don't invest here at all. Yeah, <laughs> of course I can't. Right. <laughs> doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was having trouble finding properties, enough properties to really scale a portfolio. I mean, I could find one, two, three offs here in my right. town here in Southwest Michigan, but nothing to really, you know, like really scale. And, and the market here is very competitive with the Chicago money coming in. So I had to go out of state. So I started analyzing the different markets around the US. And, you know, obviously we know that the coastal markets are way overinflated mm -hmm. in, in potentially bubble type prices at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where, yeah, right. Where the, um, you know, even if you rent out the property, I mean, it's going to be even very difficult to positive cash flow at it at all, yeah. let alone to get a, you know, a decent return on your money. Bare, barely break even. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Why take the risk, Enough. you know, of that when you're barely going to break even, unless you're just so confident, right, that the appreciation is going to happen, which yeah, again, if you, you want to gamble like that, then just stay with the stock market. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why even do real estate? <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm aligned with that. So what's great about, you know, some of these Midwestern uh, kind of bringing it into more uh, a regional view and then a, an Indianapolis view, the Midwestern markets, you know, they, they're very stable. Like they haven't gone up a whole lot since, you know, 2008 and, and they didn't, but they didn't drop a whole lot in 2008 either. I mean, they had their correction, but it wasn't so severe as what you saw in, you know, most of the other markets uh, around the country. So now you're looking at dialing into Indy you know, you've got an extremely um, kind of stable market in terms of jobs. There's a wide diversification of the type of jobs that are here. Now, like if you contrast it to Detroit, which I know Detroit has some good turnkey going on right now, but what kind of would make me nervous about investing there is that it's so hyper dependent upon the audio industry. So the auto industry is great. Uh, it's going to be great there, but when it's not good, uh, <laughs> really, really bad, right? Yeah, so that's the problem with uh, one trick pony, right? When, yeah. you, when when this town is dependent on one type or one specific, you know, industry, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Indianapolis being kind of like in the, the center of the country, it's got a, a major logistical hub. So there's so many jobs in logistics, transportation. It's got, um, you know, lots of still... Uh, manufacturing and blue collar jobs and you know it's just a very very diversified economy so the jobs are very stable the um, and that creates then a, a stability in the pricing of the of properties so we can um, you know we can find properties where we can turn them over to the investor for you know single families in the C class for you know 45 to you know, 70,000 range, depending on, you know, C to B class or, you know, single or duplex. But 
most of the properties that we sell are typically right around the net price range. And for those that are on the coastal markets, it's, you know, it's, it's baffling to them how we're able to provide, you know, a product uh, at that kind of price. Like, but it's, those are, you know, these, we're putting together a nice quality product and uh, for the investor that cash flows nicely and, and, you know, we're still able to be profitable. It's a, it's a total win-win. So Jackie, anyways, um, that's my view. I mean, you've got a probably even more dialed than you have in the third. Well, I think there, there's other things that are, you know, you bring up a good point, Jack, about the, you know, the Midwest in general. And, uh, but one of the things that we really liked or many things we liked about Indiana in particular over other parts of the Midwest is some very favorable conditions for investors. And what I mean by that, let's start with landlord laws. So this is a state where if you have a tenant that is not paying or is in breach of lease for, for any means at all, from the time that you discover this breach until the time that you can actually have your tenant out of your property can be 30 days or sometimes even less if you get lucky. That's, and, that's good. Yeah, so laws are very supportive of that. Uh, the other thing that we see here is that Partially because the property values are inexpensive, the tax rates are also very attractive too. So in some states, we might see two and a half, three, three, four, five percent for property tax. In Indiana, it's capped, uh, if you're a non-resident uh, owner, it's capped at two percent of the assessed value. And in Indiana, obviously, our, our assessments are happening in arrears, which is very unusual. And we've also got, you know, lower values in general. So most of the properties, the assessment's lower than the actual value. So we see dirt cheap prices on uh, property taxes every year. And then also as a result of those assessments being low, the properties themselves become very, very inexpensive to insure. So property and casualty insurance, which is, again, just a regular expense of owning an investment property, is also lower. So... Um, and, you know, like Jack mentioned, we got a, you know, we've got a wide variety of bigger employers here and, uh, and there's a lot of good, you know, smaller business and entrepreneurship here. I mean, Indianapolis is a big city. I think that the metro area is well over 2 million now. And, um, oh, wow. but it's, yeah, so it's, but it's very, very spread out. It doesn't feel crowded. Um, so we have, you know, all the amenities of a big city uh, with not nearly as many of the problems. And uh, so, you know, my only real beef about Indy is, is the weather, obviously, after, <laughs> <laughs> after moving here from Texas. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I tend to like things a little bit warmer. But, you know, if you like Four Seasons, man, it's a, it's a great place. And uh, there's some really great big tech companies that are, uh, you know, moving a lot of their teams here because, you know, like, look, you, you could pay somebody sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year in Indy and they can live like a king. And I'll pass 60, 70, 80 K where you live. I mean, they're eating out of a can of beans. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. You got homeless. <laughs> yeah. You're homeless at that number. Right. And here you're living well. Yeah. So, um, so there's just a lot of conditions that are favorable even to Indianapolis and Indiana that would outweigh other choices in the Midwest. Well, that's a, that's a really good summary about the Indy market. Thank you both. So um, 
I, I remember we discussed about the process, but what, what kind of process do you have in acquiring and rehabbing these properties as well as, you know, rent, putting the tenants in those properties? How do you differentiate the, you know, yourself from, let's say, some other turnkey provider or what, what have you done to tighten or streamline this process? Well, I don't mind taking that one. So yeah. we have really, <laughs> we weren't really planning this all, Pesh, but you know, like when we originally got started, we were using another supplier and okay. Jack, and I, Jack <laughs> and I joke around. We thought we were just going to be a sales and marketing company, you know, like bought a few <laughs> results, but anyway, everything broke and we realized that we couldn't rely on anybody else other than ourselves to provide the kind of quality and the kind of experience that, that we wanted to have as investors and that we wanted our investors to share. So we went through and retooled everything and we started acquiring all of our own properties. So we, you know, went out and developed all the relationships with wholesalers and hedge funds and all that other kind of stuff. And, you know, now we've got a gentleman that does all of that for us. And, uh, but we only look for properties that pretty much are more in what we would call center township in Indianapolis. They're five to 20 minutes from downtown. So there's, there are always properties that are in high demand. Uh, we make no bones that we pretty much stick to C-class. So they're not necessarily the Taj Mahal in any way, right. but it's good, <laughs> solid, you know, rental properties for working class individuals. Uh, typically our, our, tenant base is not necessarily white collar, they're more blue collar. And um, we've, that's just the, the price points that we stay with work really, really well. But we've developed a, uh, we've, we found that obviously the quality of the property, I'm not talking about how pretty it is, I'm talking about the quality of the rehab has everything to do with how well a property performs. So when we actually acquire a property, we, have a third party inspector come in before we even start the rehab. Now for the listeners, you're going probably scratching your head at this point going, why the heck would they do something like that? Well, we right. do that because we actually then don't have to rely on any other contractor or any of our own team members to decide what a property right. really needs. So, right. so we look at that as a very inexpensive employee who is doing quality control and who is helping us develop a proper scope of repairs for that property. Yeah, and that person is more of neutral, right? Third party, so that's also- Yeah, completely neutral. Another set of eyes, yeah. right? Yeah, Com another set of eyes, completely neutral, completely impartial. So then we actually have a 41-point checklist that we've developed and we use both internal teams and some external teams that we have develop some really great trusting relationships with that treat us right on volume pricing. And we then go ahead and say, okay, we're going to do all of our safety checks. We're going to do all these things. We check everything. We check plumbing, electric, all the mechanicals. You know, we replace things in certain conditions automatically or at certain age automatically. But we have 41 things that we go through and look at. When we get all done with that, we actually call the inspection company to come back and not do a refresh, but to actually do a full, complete, third-party, impartial inspection again. Start over from the beginning. Again, we want an impartial view of how that 
uh, rehab turned out. So that, again, is done for a couple reasons. One is we issue a warranty on our product. So any investor walking in is going to get a what we call a roofed foundation warranty where we're guaranteeing the operation of the major uh, operating systems of that property. That's so one of the things we want to make sure that we do is that we're not hanging ourselves out on a line by putting out a property that might need warranty work. We want to make sure that there's a high likelihood that it doesn't. Secondly, we, you know, we learned from our own mistakes previously of placing a little too much trust in others and too much trust in, in systems that weren't complete that we want to provide transparency to the investor. We want the investor to say, Hey, look, this is the actual third party, you know, verification condition of what this, property condition is like right now so that you know when you're buying a property from us notwithstanding our warranty but for many years to come you have something that's going to be a solid performer um, and then of course we have our we've developed our own complete uh, property management team as well so we go through and we do our go through our screening process we market for tenants we place a tenant we even if we even missed anything on the uh, on the inspection, we'll come back and have our team dial back around and uh, cure any of the items that might have been remaining on that second inspection. So I'm not here to tell you that it's perfect. We still make mistakes, and there's still things that might even get missed, even with all those stopgap measures in place. But <clears throat> when the investor buys a property, they're now buying a property that was sourced correctly, it was rehabbed correctly, it's warranted, a proper tenant was placed in there. The tenant is being managed professionally and it's currently performing and cash flowing. And when we show investors those numbers, we are not adding any fluff. So when you look at the uh, data sheets, what we call CFO cash flow opportunity on our website for each property, that's a reflection of how the property is performing right now. So it's got the insurance quote that we've gotten, we've researched the taxes, uh, we know exactly, you know, what the, well, not exactly, but within a point or so of what the vacancy rate is going to be on that property based on our previous experience. And so everything is on there. There's nothing, you know, we've basically lifted up the dress so that when the investor looks at it, they know exactly what they're getting. And it becomes very, very easy for them to make a decision on whether that's something they want to add to their portfolio or not. That's awesome, especially the warranty part. I was like, I was surprised that I haven't seen that pretty much anywhere else. So that's that's great. Well, Apesh, what we found, you know, is when a tenant moves into a property, that that's they start, you know, really finding out what the rehab was made of, what the property was made of. Right? Yeah, that's when they start beating on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when the most you know the things are going to come up. And what we found is we were paying for those anyways, whether we offered a warranty or didn't offer a warranty right. just to provide goodwill and, and keep a long-term relationship with our investors. Because at the end of the day, we're not in a transaction type company. We're a long-term relationship type company. Yes. That's how we approach this. So we just said, you know what? It'll probably make the sales process smoother and easier and give the, the buyer, the investor more confidence if we just give mm -hmm. them the warranty up front in writing and, and we all sign it at the closing table. So. That um, has kind of give, gives them peace of mind. Exactly. And we, we've really um, definitely, 
you know, enjoyed uh, being able to provide that as well. And then I just want to throw in one other thing as far as what Shecky said. On the third party inspections, you know, sometimes we get uh, investors that ask us to order another one. You know, they're like, well, you know, like, are you in, you know, are you in uh, cahoots with this uh, inspection right. company, right? <laughs> so that's certainly, a, it's a great question. And so what we tell them, and there's a hard line in the sand is we say no. <laughs> so here's how we look at it. So the company that we use, you know, they're very well known, very large company. They're an independent of us. And they are there to police us, not to protect us. In other words, we want them to show us everything that's wrong with the property because at the end of the day, it's going to cost us if they don't. We're going to have to pay that out, you know, those, that money back out in warranty claims So if it's not done right. So we want it done right and we need it done right. And it's so much smoother when the third-party inspections are coming in during, before, and then the end of the rehab process versus, you know, we've got this property with a tenant in place and now they just moved in and now a week or two later, or three weeks or whatever the case, investors ordering another inspection, disrupting their life. It just didn't work. So we just say, if you, everything that we're providing, we are so transparent. We show scope of work. We show full set of pictures. We show two inspection reports. If that's not enough, along with the trust and goodwill that, we feel that we've, you know, put forth, you know, with all of our uh, investors, then we're probably not the ones for you. So then let's just, you know, let's go somewhere else. You guys go somewhere else and we'll find somebody else to buy this. So that's how we look at it. I see. No, which makes sense. So uh, uh, I know uh, Shaki mentioned about uh, rent to price ratio. Uh, so can you tell me what kind of price point is the are these properties in and what kind of rents uh, do you see yeah so most like we deal mostly in single family homes we do get the occasional duplex every once in a while uh, we've moved away from a lot of the other smaller multifamily just because it's uh, difficult to work with some of those tenants and get them to perform as well right. as they work on paper so we stick mostly to single family homes and in that price point, we're looking typically at about a forty-five to seventy thousand dollar price point. Um, we uh, rents in the in that range will go anywhere from about six hundred to eight seventy-five. Let's just say nine hundred, mm-hmm. maybe. That's so, good. when you do the math, uh, you know, easily hitting the one percent rule most Easy. most times. Oh, yeah most times approaching the 2% rule, although it's not really a rule. Uh, But we are very proud of the fact that after, and I had mentioned this before, after putting all the expenses on our cash flow opportunity sheets, in almost every case, except, you know, there are some exceptions, we are able to get the investor double digit returns on just about any property that they buy from us. And when I say double digit, I'm just talking strictly about cash on cash. And, you know, certainly we have a a percentage of investors that'll dial back around and do a cash out refi and things like that. And that will probably improve their cash on cash position. But I'm just saying if if it were not financed at all and they just stuck with a straight cash purchase, then those are some really, really strong numbers. 
So um, that's, that's amazing numbers actually right now in this market. So one more question I have regarding, because you, you brought up financing, are this, because uh, if I remember correctly, it's hard to get financing for a property for sub 50 grand. So are in, mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how do you sell these properties on cash or do you also yeah. have lenders you work with or how does that work? No, we, uh, we're, we're all cash. Um, that doesn't mean that to the investor, it's necessarily they're just, you know, writing a check or sending a wire because right. some, of, some of the investors will do a 1031 exchange. Some of them will do out of a self-directed IRA. Some will do the, you know, infinite banking thing. There's yeah, lots of ways. Yeah, private money, about, you know, private money lending. Sure, or, you know. sure. So there, there's lots of ways for the investor to generate the funds for the purchase. But when we actually go do the transaction they're buying from us, we're receiving all cash. And the reason being, there's there's a couple reasons for it. Number one is, you mentioned it, is that in the forty-five dollars to $75,000 price points, most lenders have $75,000 minimum. Yeah. So these properties do not lend themselves, pun intended, to, you know, to <laughs> upfront financing. They just don't. And we found that when we, earlier in the history of our company, when we tried to allow for financing, we were writing up all kinds of deals, but they were never closing. And it's like, you know, we're not in business to do paperwork, you know, like it's just, and so we just had to kind of like to use Jack's words, draw a line in the sand and just say, look, this is the way we do it. And interestingly, our, our business like went up by like 5x in the next two, three months after we did that because we very clearly just said, hey, look, we're only dealing with investors that want to operate in this way. And the other thing that that allows us to do, which is probably more important than the first point, is it allows us to close quickly, thereby getting properties to market faster. You know, we do our thing. We don't let another inspection come in to gum up the works. We get them tenanted. We get them cash flowing quickly and we get them off our plate. So the, the shorter period of time that we're holding on to these properties, the less our holding costs are and the less we can actually charge the investor for that property, which obviously helps his or her ROI. So we're doing everything that we can to keep our prices down and selling all cash is a really big way that we do that. Yeah, we can't hold a property for three months waiting for a bank right. to you know, do all their whatever it is that they do yep. <laughs> and tie up a property when it could have been sold you know, within, sometimes we sell them within three, three days and close wow. and fund them by the investor, by the time we even get it done and ready and, and present it to an investor, we have had turnaround times that quick. <clears throat> so if we were, you know, we don't have a like infinite amount of inventory either. Um, it takes a lot, as you can imagine, to get right. a property all the way through to the finish line and get it cash flow producing. So when we get something to the finish line, I mean, typically, honestly, um, they sell within about 24 hours. So we usually have a purchase agreement and, and they're, you know, they're off to the, to the title company. That's awesome. So, and I want to remind my listeners that of course, you know, as you mentioned, they can do cash out refinance as well as do not forget about port- portfolio lenders, right? So let's say that you acquire a couple of properties in Indy or more, you can go to a portfolio lender and combine all of them into one as well. 
So there are other ways to, you know, uh, get your cash out after the, after you have acquired the property as well as uh, that will give you bigger cash COCR or cash on cash return. We've had a lot of investors that have done a cash out refi successfully and, you know, it, it has worked. I mean, so it is, it's not that we're, we're definitely, we're investors ourselves, you know, we're long-term buying bold investors. So, you know, I'm very much aligned with wanting to use leverage. I understand how it magnifies your returns, you know, most of the time by at least double. So uh, sometimes more, right? Depending on how much leverage percentage that you use. Right. So we're very much for, we want our investors to do it. Of course they can, they, they can then buy more. They're just doing it on the back end versus doing it on the front end with us. Got it. So this was great. I um, appreciate, uh, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, we are at the end. How can my listeners reach out to you? Well, everything. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, it's uh, everything is on our website, highreturnrealestate.com. We also have the High Return Real Estate Show podcast. They can subscribe to it right there. They can learn more about see potential properties. Um, they can book a call with our head of investor relations, Nicole. She is phenomenal. She's everybody loves her and her personality and her knowledge. She uh, actually was one of uh, my very first investors. So, and she still is today a buy and hold investor with us. So she really has that, you know, unique perspective that, um, a lot of our investors, you know, they really like working with her for all those reasons. So that's what we'd suggest if they want to kind of learn more. We we actually don't sell a property until somebody books a call with Nicole and actually goes through that process. Just simply, we want to make sure that it's a good fit and that what we offer and, and what their goals are is going to be a good long-term partnership. Right. And, it, and sometimes it isn't, you know, sometimes we don't yeah. match up and that's fine too, but we want to uh, know that, you know, going in because we look at it as, as really we're in partnership with our investors. It's not a transaction. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You want to build a long-term relationship, right? Absolutely. Everyone real estate is, uh, you know, networking and long-term business, right? So yeah. Awesome. Thanks again. Uh, thank you both and have a nice weekend. Yeah. Thanks. thanks. So much. Appreciate you having us on the show. This was really fun. Of course. Thank you. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L-T-H-M-A-T-R-S.com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.